Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. Little warning about this message. So here's the fun thing about Calvary Chapel. We will not talk about tithing, not unless it comes up in Scripture. So we were in verse 40 last week is what we ended with. We're in verse 41 this week. So we don't skip because it's an uncomfortable subject. Uh, Last week we were talking about the earthly ministry of Jesus as we're down to the last few days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, They were, uh, as he questioned the scribes and the Pharisees and then actually rebuked them, uh, he was dealing with the the term son of David, which is a messianic term which would meant the Messiah, the anointed one. And now Jesus leaves that scene and he goes and he sits and he's going to watch people. That would be like me sitting and watching y'all with the tide box. That's what he's doing. Jesus is going to sit and watch people as they go to the offering box. And, you know, when we think about tithing, I think what we first need to establish is, what does it say in the Old Testament? Because this is where people get confused. Uh, the Apostle Paul gave us a new teaching on this and in, in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament we had um, uh, the, the tithe itself was uh, in Numbers chapter 18 verse 26 it says speak to the Levites and say to them when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as an inheritance you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering in Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 22 it says be sure Uh, to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And then 2 Chronicles verses 31 through 5 says, As soon as the the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tenth of everything. So yes, the the Old Testament talked about a 10%. But it actually, if you add it up, it's not 10%. It's somewhere in between 20 and 30. Yeah. And most people barely meet the 10%, much less the 20 to 30. Uh, but that was the Old Testament law. And one thing that I do like is that he required the Levites who received the tithe, they had to tithe. That's why our church does. Our church gives 10%. So we have missionaries that we're actually, so everything, and we'll talk about this, everything that we do as a church, we're not trying to teach it to, uh, we're not trying to tell you to do it, but we don't do it as a church. I had a question asked, why do we tithe? We're an early church. We shouldn't be doing that. If anything, you better be doing that. 
Because it's the blessing that God rains down on the church by you being obedient and testing Him. So we, we have missionaries in Abkhazia and Sochi, Russia that we're, we're actually tithing to. We have missionaries in Mexico, in Itopato, Mexico. And then we are part of the tithe that goes to the South Texas Ministerial Fellowship, which is the DMF. That means Third Street Closet, Divine Food Pantry, and Mission Divine all receive tithes from this church. And that's why we do that. We're not asking you to do anything that the church wouldn't do. See, as we look at this law, we're looking at this, and it's the Old Testament law that that, uh, that, that is, and that's why we need to establish that right off the bat. Paul's going to give us the, the, uh, the way that a tithe should be, and we'll study that. And then second, what I want you to do is you're already probably feeling like, oh my God, we're talking about money. What's the number two thing that causes divorce in marriages? Money. It used to be number one. Now it's infidelity. Money is number two. This is the biggest reason why couples will fight. And so, honestly, it's not my favorite topic either. I don't like talking about it. I cringe when I get to it in Scripture because I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. Because automatically people feel guilty. But this is why we do verse-by-verse teaching. We don't get to skip because we don't like what it says. We have to go through the whole book of Mark. You may feel uncomfortable, but what I'm going to ask you to do is if you do feel uncomfortable, I don't want you to give today. I want you to pray about it and allow God to speak to your heart about it. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about it. The Holy Spirit will show you exactly the direction you need to go with it. The other thing is, is the other part of the warning is if you're, if you, if you're watching this or listening to this later on, if you're not a follower of Christ, close your pocketbook, put up your wallet. Because this is for believers. This is for people who follow Jesus because it's a form of worship. Because immediately what happens is if it's a non-believer, the first thing they do is go, there is the church. Here they go, begging for money. That's why we don't pass out a pan. We don't do that. We leave it all between you and the Lord. That's why we do it. That's why when we have events, like when we had the football field event, the food, everything was free. There was a reason for that. Because we, at the end of the day as a church, we don't want anybody paying for anything because the gospel's free. When we did the, the kids' corner for the, um, the Cactus Fest, everything was free, including the, the gifts that were given out, everything. There was a reason for that. Because the church has gotten a bad name for this. So let's get into it. I know you are like, let's hurry up and get through this one. Yeah, no. uh, let's look at first as Jesus is watching the offering box, our first point. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. So the, the treasury is actually in the women's court in the temple. There's actually 13 trumpets that are say, uh, shaped like receptacles. 
And in, that, in those trumpets, the larger the sum was, the more money the sound would make. So when it hit, when it dropped in, boom, it would make a big sound. So you knew somebody gave a large amount of money. And, and so there were nine, out of the 13 trumpets, there were nine that were offering jars for mandatory offerings. And see, that's the Old Testament law that doesn't apply anymore. And then there were four that were voluntary offerings. But yet, Jesus is watching the people. And Jesus is watching you this morning. Watching the way that you get up and talk to your spouse. Watching the way that you worship this morning. Were you singing? Were you not singing? Were you thinking about lunch? Right? Jesus knows all this stuff is going on in your heart and your head. And Jesus loved watching people. Because he loves people. And, and just thinking of the, the, the congregation, you know, as we think about that, he's with the children right now. Jesus is watching the kids as they come together and they learn the Word of God. Jesus cares how we give as he's watching the offering box. Why? Because it's a form of worship. It is worship unto the Lord. We, we think about worship. You think about uh, when you sing. That's a form of worship. When you are here hearing the Word of God, it's a form of worship. When you're praying, it's worship. And yet, you, you don't get to pick and choose which ones you get to do and not do. But yet, we do. See, Jesus is watching us as we give our time, our talent, and our treasure. And see, what will happen with a lot of people is they'll give their time and talent, and they go, well, he I'm already giving my time and talent. He's not getting my treasure. But all three are forms of worship. You can't say, well, I, I really love to sing, but I can't stand being in the Word. Or I really love to, to pray and be in the Word, but not sing. They're all forms of worship. And yet, this is what happens with a lot of people is they'll, they try to exclude the ones that they don't want to deal with. And what happens is Jesus is examining the heart. As he's watching those people go up and he's watching them put in. He's examining their hearts. He does that with us with our time, talent, and treasure. And the reality is, is in, in, and then he's sitting there watching the people put money in. It says, many rich people put in large sums. Now, this is something I want to make sure that we get. In the context of Scripture, it doesn't tell us that their motive was uh, what their motive was of giving, right? That they were trying to do it for show. It doesn't say that. So we can't do, you know, take that from that. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, actually, he had just got done rebuking them for doing what? Extorting the widows. They were, they were stealing from the widows. And he had just got done rebuking them for this. But they're not in the picture either. He's just watching people. And he saw the rich put in. 
And there's something that we learned back in Mark chapter 10, verse 25. It says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because what happens with a lot of people that have money, the treasure gets a hold of them, and they begin to serve the treasure and not God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, will these, uh, with these we will be content. No. Half of us aren't content with just food and clothing. Think about it. We're always wanting something more. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into meaning senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's a root. Of all kinds of evils. And what happens is people will grow in their material life, but they'll decline in their spiritual life. They start chasing possessions and travel and pointless pursuits. Next thing you know, they're chasing the things from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I want y'all to get this just for a second. The person with the least amount of money in this church, and I don't know who that is, but that person is wealthier than 90% of the world. The world's population. And yet we all think we're broke. Right? You're richer than the world's population. You have more than them. And can I tell you that you don't have to be rich to be chasing money. You can be poor and money can be a God to you. Because you think that that money is going to fix all of your problems. I used to be that way before Christ. I used to think, man, if I could just get another thousand or another two thousand, I'll just get on my feet. There's an old song by, and I never thought I would do this, but by, by Puff Daddy that said, this is before Christ, sorry. More money, more problems. There was a movie like that. Again, before Christ. I didn't, it's not like I was listening to that on the way to the car. <laughs> but it's true. The more money you have, the more problems it brings. But you can chase it just like that, that rich person can too. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Because money possesses you. It takes control of your heart at times. And you can't serve two masters. And you need to ask the question, am I a giver? 
Or am I hanging on to it with clenched fist like Scrooge? You just got to keep it. Are you hoarding stuff? Are you collecting fishing poles or guns, you know? Like, I got to have the newest one. And it's like, this, this stuff happens. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from, uh, from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There are many people that have been blowing trumpets in the church for many years. Think about it. How many churches have you been to plaques, right? Donated by the Jenkins family. The Catholic church that my, my grandparents went to had that. Sound the trumpet. These pews were donated by, and they have the name of the people on there. Don't need to do that. If you give, you give. That's between you and the Lord. But Paul challenges the rich, and I love what he says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, it says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on, uh, uh, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I have met people that, uh, that are blessed with riches, but can I tell you something? They give it out as quickly as it comes in. Because they're, they're, that's what their beliefs are as Christians. They put this, this scripture to the test. As quickly as it comes in, it goes out and they give it out. They would be one of those people that would just go, you know what, we're going to bless, we're going we're gonna to sponsor 20 kids for the youth retreat. And they would do it quietly. Let me tell you something, that's an awesome thing when that happens. And yet that was their hearts. And Pastor Joe and them had somebody at Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, just give them a radio station. Like here, for, for, for uh, Pastor Skip. Just gave him the radio station. And Joe said, that guy is California, Southern California rich. He owns a bunch of restaurants and chains, and he goes, Mike, as quickly as it comes in, it goes out. He gives it out as quickly as it comes in. He's always blessing churches, always blessing different ministries, and it's just his heart. So where are you storing your treasure? Here or in heaven? 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it says, Do not lay up your treasure, or do not lay up yourself treasures on earth, where the moth and the rust destroy, and where the thieves break and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, when neither moth nor rust destroy, and where the thieves do not break and steal. And where, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, For each one must give as he's decided in his heart. And this is what Paul the Apostle was talking about in the New Testament. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's why we don't pass a... And we will never in this church, as long as I'm pastor, pass anything around. For any event or anything... Matter of fact, when we did the football field event, one of the groups asked us, well, we, can we do a tithe? I was like, no, you're not passing anything out to that crowd. We'll take care of it. We're not doing that. Because I don't want you to feel like you're, you're under compulsion to give. Because anybody said in the Catholic Church every time that thing gets passed around, you feel guilty. And I remember being a kid, not getting any money, and, and just sitting there like, Am I supposed, everybody's putting money in here. I don't have any money to put in it. No. Not under compulsion. It says, For God loves a cheerful giver. I love what John Wesley says. John Wesley, uh, who's famous... Uh, theologian and and um, he said this he said we are to gain all we can and save all we can so that we can give all we can and so Wesley in his own words and this man this hit my heart hard it says save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desire to gratify either the desire of the flesh the desire of the eye or the pride of life waste nothing on sin or folly whether for yourself or your children and then i would put grandchildren because it pierced my heart when i read this because i was like wow i just wasted a bunch of money because the toys are all over the living room like why did i buy them they already got too much already Wasteful spending. And then you can give all you can. Or in other words, give all you have to God. Earning, saving, giving, all means giving oneself to God. Wesley, when he died, everybody thought he had a ton of money. Wesley had 10 pounds in his wallet. He was English. Not much. But you know what? That's because he gave it all. He, he, he blessed so many ministries and churches, and individuals. So he lived by that, that motto, which was we, we are to gain all, uh, we, uh, we are to gain all we can, and save all we can, so that we can give all we can. Such a blessing. And, and, and the verse I thought about when I read that was 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. Now we're going to see the widow give in verse 42 in the power. And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. So you can imagine that as the, as the rich are coming in, they're dropping in their, their offering and it's making these loud sounds. And here she comes with two copper coins. And yet Jesus is watching her. He's seeing how she worships God through her giving. And he's looking at her heart. And this is a woman of humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you. We learned that this past week about humility. Humility is the bloom and the beauty of holiness. The chief mark of counterfeit holiness is the lack of humility. So when you want to go sound the trumpet, hey, I'm going to go give, and you're telling everybody in the church, I'm going to go bless this, I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to do that, and you're sounding the trumpet. There's no humility in that. Your reward is here on earth already. You've received it. The adulation that you got was here. We, I, I love that, that we know that this woman had a, a real encounter with the Spirit of God because it produced humility in the way that she gave. We had a, I did the books for, um, for my last church for probably three, maybe four years. And one of the things that you learn when you, when you actually do the books and you go through, and especially when you have a church, a bigger church, and people give, um, one thing that was really crazy is we had this one lady who was a widow who lived on a very small fixed income. But she would give $10 every week. She was consistent in her giving, in her heart. She always gave. Even during COVID, she would drive her little car up and put her check in to make sure that the tide got taken care of every week. And I would always be blown away because it would be a $10 check every week and then at the very end of the month, she'd give $150 to missionaries. Knowing that she was sparingly eating a lot of rice and beans. She was Hispanic. So that way she could give more. That was her heart. I remember me and Teresa coming down through HEB and her car had broken down. In the middle of, middle of the lane, we got her home, got the car home. And um, you would think because the car broke down that, that the check wouldn't be there that week. That's not how she was. Even as the car broke down, her check still came in. That was her heart. And when I read about the widow, that was the first thing that reminded me of is, is the widow that she was. On a very small income, yet she was consistent because it's not about the 10%. It's about the heart. And that's what Paul is talking about as he gives us that verse, be a cheerful giver. It's like it's, it's not out of compulsion. You're giving based on what God places on your heart. And so the heart is to, to be a cheerful giver. Now you have to understand, as, as any church, the church is a business in some form. Meaning we have, yeah, actually, even though this is not our building, we have insurance that we have to pay. We got rent that we have to pay. 
Like, can I tell you, as goofy as I was, I didn't grow up in the church. So I thought because they were a nonprofit, they were just given electricity and given the water. That's what I actually thought when I first started attending church. And then the, the, it's funny because the veil gets torn a little bit each time you step into more roles. And you go, man, they have to pay this much for rent? Or they have to pay this much for... I thought y'all were giving this stuff. No. So it is a, it is a business. And so the church has a, has a function uh, as a business. But we'll never me- make it known what our, our needs are. Because I believe that God provides for the church regardless as His church. Okay? And I can tell you, even during the housing market crash... Back in 2000, what, 2008 it was, 2007, somewhere in there, when the housing market crashed and, man, everybody was hurting. The church that I attended, the God still provided, the rent was still paid. Even to the point where the pastor had to give up his salary for a few months to make sure the bills got paid, and that was his heart. He was like, here, don't worry about paying me. God's church was taken care of, and the pastor ended up getting all that money back. It was not even an issue. But we'll never sit and tell you this is what our needs are. And so it's, it's always funny when we, oh, we need a new wing, so we need to, a new drive so we can try to get this or get that. And we're not doing all that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that's why it says, Each must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That is what we're called to do now as believers. That's our form of worship. What God puts on your heart. And it's not about the amount. It's about the consistency. It's about being consistent in your worship to God and your giving. And let me tell you something. You will not be a leader in this church if you do not give. It's, it's, it's part of worship. And it's not about the amount. It's the consistency. Just like that widow with her $10 every month was consistent. And so when we look at it, Paul encourages us, and, and, he, and he's actually... Uh, given us the, the direction that we're supposed to go through the, the New Testament. And he actually breaks that down if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 8 as we look at what grace giving is. It's not coerced, it's from a willing heart. And God looks at the, the heart of the giver and not at the size of the gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses, uh, let's read the verse, two verses. It says, when we, we want to know, brothers, about the, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of, of Macedonia. For in a se- uh, severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So one of the things they do is they give generously. In verse 3 it says, for they have gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly in favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so they give willfully. 
They were trying to help those that were in need. And in verse 5 it says in this, Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And they were directed by God to give. In verse 6 it says, Accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you at this act of grace, but you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and all our love for you. See that you excel in the act of grace also. So grace giving is sharing responsibility and also giving should be exercised. And then finally in verse 8 it says, I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of the others that your love is also genuine. When we give it actually reveals our love to others. And all meaning that when we try to bless somebody and help them, that's that sacrificial love. Like you go, you know what, I know they're hurting right now. I'm going to bless them with a gift, and you're not, you're not sounding the trumpet. You're just trying to help your brother or sister out. It's done in love. Remember in Acts chapter 2, the early church did that as well. Uh, as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse, um, verse 43, and it says, And all came upon every soul, and many, signs and, uh, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Uh, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them proceeds to all who has, had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to, to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they, they actually, when you read this, they're selling all things and, and their possessions and distributing. And why? Because people were coming to faith and they were being thrown out of their homes. They were being, uh, you believe in what? You can't work here anymore. They didn't have anything. And so they were selling their stuffs to make sure that those people had food. Because that was what the early church had put on their hearts. And I love what Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says. And says, bring the full tithe into the store, storehouse that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you blessings until there is no need. Put me to the test. People will put the stock market to the test. People will put Bitcoin to the test. People will put more faith in a Kickstarter than they will put testing Jesus Christ. See, understand, we're not talking about God being a slot machine. That's not what we're talking about. He's not saying you put in five, you get ten. That's not it. Blessings. Blessings. Put me to the test. Blessings for you and your family. Blessings in your marriages. Blessings in your business. Put me to the test. He's like, this is the one area where you've been asked to test God and you will not test Him. I know more people, some people put more faith in that, in that 401k than they do God. He's talking about experience and enjoying the extended goodness of God. 
You can have money and not be blessed. You can be wealthy and have no joy, no peace. Anybody that heard Austin Carlisle's testimony, anybody that's heard Brian Head Welch's testimony, both guys that were in the rock, big rock groups, both of them, plenty of money, plenty of women, plenty of, plenty of access to everything, and they were unhappy. They had no joy, no peace. Money doesn't mean that you're, it's going to bring happiness. A lot of people think it does. The widow put this to the test in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. She put God to the test. And I can imagine you're thinking, man, have you ever been strapped for cash or you're, your, your bills are due or, or you lost your job or the gas mic? Have you seen the gas prices? I get all that. I understand that. I'm on a fixed income, guys. I don't get an up or a down. When the gas prices go up, thank you, Joe Biden. It drives me nuts, too. Because it's not like I'm getting an extra $100. Well, matter of fact, I did get a raise, but that all went already the first month or two months of the, the year because of all the inflation. It's gone. But I need to be obedient in my giving. Because it's a form of worship. And look, man, I, I understand. There are going to be times when you go, man, we, we need a new transmission. Car broke down. And you, you may be that person that gives $150 consistently. And that month, all you have is $50 to give. Just be consistent in your giving. God knows the heart. He knows what's going on. He's saying, put me to the test. I know what you're going through. So what is it that we should learn? In verses 43 through 44, it says, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Meaning all these rich people were coming in. But her worship, she put more in. And she only put two copper coins. And Jesus was paying attention, watching her. And he's, he's, one of the things I love is he says, he brings his disciples over. And again, whenever you see that truly there, it means amen. So he's saying, disciples, you need to learn this. You need to pay attention to this. It's a teaching moment for the disciples again. You have to ask yourself, why is it more than all of the, the contributing uh, money that went into the offering box? You had all these rich people that were just dumping money in. It was her attitude of worship. She sacrificed and she's testing God. She gave all. In verse 43, it says, The poor widow has put more in than all those. All. And Jesus viewed her gift and 
It was greater than all the, combina- the contributions that were done that day that he was watching. Those two copper coins. Because she gave sacrificially. They were given out a surplus. She gave out of a, a point of sacrifice. And Jesus noticed it. And he knows when you're doing that as well. He knows everything that's going on in y'all's lives, guys and gals. You're not hiding anything. He knows when you're strapped. He knows when you're like, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it through this month. Test him. Test him. For they all uh, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Everything. She gave sacrificially. Now, it doesn't say that she foolishly was managing her money and decided, hey, I'm going to put everything in the tie box. I'm not telling you to do that, okay? But she was testing God. And, and, and she was doing it from a pure heart. She was doing it from a pure heart. And I think we, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, it's, it's the motive again. It's part of our, 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 as followers of Christ, it's part of our stewardship, it's part of our discipleship that we learn to do these things because it's a form of worship. And do you understand, like, when we talk about blessings, like God put me to the test and you're part of the blessings, do you understand that every person who comes to salvation in Mexico, if you put tithe in that tithe box or you do it online, you're part of that blessing? When you get to heaven, you have blessings and and waiting on you that you'll not even know about. In Abkhazia, every time that those youth come to the, the youth camp, which they have a huge number that come, and every time that somebody says, I profess to, to follow Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins, you're part of that blessing. They have a camp that they do for the, the handicap. And do you understand, like in Abkhazia, like if you ever talk to Miss Wendy about this, they actually hide the people that have defects that are handicapped because they consider them to have a defect and they shouldn't be out in public. But they did a camp for them. They do a camp for them every year. They provide wheelchairs for them. They provide walkers for them. They, they give them things that they don't even get to do. They get them out in public. They get them out in, in worshiping God. And you're part of that blessing. Every time somebody comes into that food pantry that doesn't have food for this month, you're part of the blessing. Anytime that a woman is abused or doesn't have what she needs, and Third Street Closet comes in and helps them out and provides the stuff that they need for that, for that immediate action, you're part of the blessing. Every time that there's a, 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 a building that's put together, a roof that's put on because the poor or elderly don't have the money to fix it, and Mission Divine does it, you're part of the blessing. And your treasure is stored up in heaven. Do you get that? That's why the church does what it does. 
I still believe to this day the businesses that we have in this church are being blessed the way that they are during inflation. During the, the high cost and the high prices, that that's happening because God is blessing them for their giving. And they're able to pour out more. And it's scary when you have a tough month or you have a tough week or you have a, man, look, it's, I understand it. I, have, I've, I, I did the books for the church. It's, it's like, man, are we going to get through this month? Better start praying. <laughs> and you start praying. That's why when we get that tithe, we pray over the tithe. We pray over, and we don't just pray that, oh, Lord, bless the tithe for the church. We pray, Lord, double help these families. Give them more. Give them what their needs are. Rain blessings down on them. Because we understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15, and we'll finish here. We read part of this, but I want to make sure you get this, because this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. So if you ever wonder where grace giving comes from or the New Testament, when somebody tells you you're supposed to give 10%, no, it's, it's different. In the New Testament, it was changed. They need, to, they need to look at it. And so I know that's the number that everybody loves to throw out, 10%. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-15 says this, and we've read some of these verses already. I'll go quickly through this. The point is that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That means you give, and that word means you hilariously give to God. That's what the word means in the Greek. Can you imagine you hilariously paying CPS their electric bill? You wouldn't know, right? But that's what the word means in the Greek. Hilariously giver, right? And God is able to make a, all grace abound to you. So that all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through uh, us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not to uh, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in the thanksgivings to God. By their approval of their service, they will glorify God because your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his unexpressible gift. See, when we give, God unites God's people. There's a purpose for it. And so what is our application for today? And we'll end here. Now, I don't want you to walk out of these doors feeling guilty. I don't want you to feel like I'm watching you. As uh, if, if I made eye contact with you today, I'm just looking out into, 
I'm trying not to do that. And so I want you to pray about it. This is the same thing. If we ever do a, a, a teaching on serving, I'm, I want you to pray about it. I don't want you to do it out of response because of feelings or emotions. Ask the Lord to tell you, what is it that I should be doing in this, in this area? And God will show you. And just, just allow the Lord to show you that. But the question you have to answer is, do you give thankfully? Do you give thankfully? Do you give cheerfully? Are you, are you putting that money in the tide box? Are you going online and going, oh, got to do my donation. I got to do my giving. Because you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to the church, which belongs to God. I'm not making money. One thing to understand, I'm not on payroll. I do this for free, and I will continue to do it for free. I'm a servant of God, okay? Mike is not on salary, so you're not paying Mike's salary. Just FYI. So do you give cheerfully? And that word in the Greek means hilariously, like you give joyfully, like that widow would give with her little $10 check. She would drive her old 1990s car that she still has. It's paid off. Her house is paid off. But she, man, she manages her money. And she blesses so many people. And that's just her heart. She gives cheerfully. And she is a prayer warrior. I believe the things that have happened to this church is because she is in her closet praying for this church. She prayed for us as we left, and she's been praying for us. Do you give liberally? And do you give sacrificially? The way the widow did. Those are the things that you have to ask yourself. So God tells you, put them to the test. Put them to the test. And understand that when you, when you, when you, when you give every month, everything that we give... We, one of the things we did is just 10% because it was easy for us for math and all. And, and so that's why we did it. And so we cut off 10% right off. So our first fruit goes to pay the missionaries, goes to pay, you know, the South Texas Ministerial. And then, you know, that way we're, we wanted to be able to give to the community. And one of the things that we knew we could do is through the South Texas Mineral Fellowship is that money gets distributed through. And it's not just that. It also does benevolence. So when somebody does not have a place to sleep and the, the police, they have a place they can put them for the night until they can get them to get the help they need in San Antonio, they, they have that as well. I mean, they, they just, there's so much that's done through that ministry. And, all. and we, get, we get to be a part of it because look as a church as a business we can't give to each so this is the easiest way for us to do it as a church so hopefully that wasn't too bad i promise next week we won't talk about money and trust me i don't like talking about it no more than than you like hearing about it um but we we're a verse by verse church next week we we we're done with mark chapter 12 praise god we're into Mark chapter 13. Next week we'll be talking about um, end times and the coming of Christ. And so, um, and guess what? All your stuff is going to get burned up anyway. If anybody, can I, can I tell you something, man? If you're a hoarder, 
Man, when your parents die or your grandparents die, nobody wants that junk. You know what they end up doing? They throw all of the stuff away, and then they sell the house. Or they sell the land. Or they just bulldoze the house and sell the land. You know? Think about that just for a second. Like if you're a collector of stuff, it's going to get burned up. And a lot of times, man, we end up leaving people with junk. And, and you know, not unless you invested in some really good tools or something, man. And you were, like my grandfather, his, his woodshed was very well taken care of. But you know what the sad part was? Nobody learned how to do the trade. And you know what happened to that stuff? It was all given away. Nobody from the family wanted it. And he spent thousands on it. The house. Sad. It was a million dollar home. He bought that house for $49,000 across the street from the beach in Isle of Palms. But because of the hurricane and all the stuff happened, everybody started buying up property from Boston and New York. And then next thing you know, my grandfather has a million-dollar home. And the house has been bulldozed. And a four-story house has been put on it. So somebody can put more stuff in their house. See how this works? We really got to... I, I love what John Wesley does. I hope that you go back and if you get a chance, even listen to that. Because John Wesley, man, like, honestly, we, we should be given more. Like, to, at the end of the day, we're, we, we need to make more, save more, and give more. But I love what he talked about. Are you, are you wastefully, and that convicted me. Because I wasted money yesterday on a, a gun that shot me, I don't know how many times, a Nerf gun, which I wish I never would have bought. It hurt. And I was like, why did I buy this? This is pain. You know, it's like. And at the end of the night, where's the Nerf gun? On the floor with all the bullets. And I'm like, why did I do this? And I was like, I'm teaching on wasteful spending tomorrow. And you just, you, you see what I'm saying? You learn what you teach. And so I have areas, when I, when I went over this, I have areas I need to work on as well. Okay? So I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, Mike is, Mike's got areas we need to work on. So I do have a collectible uh, Georgia Bulldog things that need to, I need to stop doing. So we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. And I'm sure somebody here has a collection of fishing rods or other things that they have. So, and all my kids say they'll give me uh, Georgia Bulldog things, and so I have all that. And I, I just, I, I just, the thing I remember is when my my grandfather died. He he worked for NASA, and uh, he used to he did the uh, he was an engineer. He did the inspections, and so Apollo 11, uh, all the he was he has rewards and. The thing that I, it was sad because they, when my grandmother had passed, my, my three aunts were fighting over jewelry. And um, 
they had told me and one of my aunts my aunt, my aunt Cianne had told me Mike is there anything that you want and I was like I remember my grandfather always had these little patches with Snoopy with NASA that they would put out for the uh, people that worked at NASA I was like I would love just any kind of little patch just something that my so when I share the story with my kids and their grandkids they know that their grandfather worked on for NASA worked for those things that went up to uh, to the moon and all that stuff that they did and um, as they were fighting over the junk in the house there's a a footlocker he was in the military he was in the army and it had gotten wet in Florida everything gets wet in Florida um, and and I found his hat his NASA And that means more to me than any bit of money that could have ever been given. Because that was my grandfather. You don't leave them money, you know. That's the thing that, that people will fight over when people die. But sadly what it is is people will leave a bunch of junk. And it, sometimes if it has any value, people will fight over that like cats and dogs. And it's not, that's, that's what happens when we... Uh, we put money in a place where we try to serve two masters. And so it's just a, rem a reminder to us, man. It's like at the end of the day, just think about the stuff in your house, man. How much of that stuff is going to get burned up? Because you're not going to be here. You'll be in heaven. You're not caring about any of this stuff. You're going to be like, man, I'm good. You ain't worried about all this. But see, that should make us have a light touch on the things of this earth. Right? Do we all need the newest phone? Have, have we gotten that out of our system now, finally? Because it was, for a while, man, everybody had to have the newest gadget, the newest, man, they were pouring out phones, but it's like we need, to, we need to take a step back and look at that stuff. And that's what the world will do. Pride of life, right? Pride of life, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And that's what the devil uses all the time to get you to start focusing on the, the worldly things, the shiny little trinkets. And we need to be careful with that. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.